Praise God. In our reading um, tonight, I'd just like us to turn to Mark and 12, if you have your Bibles, from 13 to 34. Two groups of people and an individual. And uh, what I want to talk about tonight is the authority. The authority of Jesus Christ, who is the living word. This scene in the power of reason. And yet, in contrast to this, which we've seen, the bigotry of unbelief. For that's a sad reflection, then as today. Because Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Praise God tonight for those who have been set free. Because we have realised and known, accepted Christ who is the truth. Now, Jesus was always a threat to the re religious establishment. Because he spoke the truth. <laughs> and when you do that... You leave yourself open to all manner of attack. So here is a different attack which we see from verse 13. What does it tell us? They sent what I would call the heavy mob. What do I mean by that? All the big guys, you see. All the clever ones, all the cheap priests and all of that. What you would call the best that they could get. To count and catch Jesus out in his words. These were the elders. And they asked the question. What authority have you to speak like this? That was their question. He asked them a question. They couldn't answer that. So he didn't answer theirs. Well, that's important to think about. He didn't answer this because he knew why they'd come to catch him out. So the first thing I'd like to look at is this with the first group. It's an unlikely alliance. What do I mean by that? Well, it says this. Some Pharisees. The Pharisees were strict custodians of the law of God's word they put God's word first in every situation the Herodians I would term were the bully boys because they were political whereas the Pharisees were religious towards God the Herodians followed Herod and used their muscle and what they had so you could see they were the bully boys. They followed the king. They followed Herod. Now normally, in the run of things, these two groups would be at opposites. Opposites. They would not be together. The world and religion, even then, although it might be a worldly religion, doesn't work. So then we ask ourselves the question, why is it then that here we see them both together. 
one religious, the other political. But they had, you see, a well-calculated plan that come with a purpose, that come to catch them out, that come to, because they'd worked out what they felt, what they thought, what they were sure of, was the question he couldn't answer. So to their mind, they had it all mapped out. They had it all ready, and so they came to Jesus with this question. But notice in verse 14, what a lot of fanciful flannel went on when they said, We know, we know you're sent from God and you speak the truth. But you see, Jesus knew what was behind it, their hypocrisy. For they came to catch him out, it says, in his words. So then ask the question, why together? Well, the answer then is in the question. Because they said this, this it, this it was. Is it lawful, is it right, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Very interesting this. Why? Because it was a sore point with many Jews. Why? They were under Roman occupation. They hated to pay taxes. Who does? Nobody does. But when you're forced to pay them, that's a different matter. So here is the first point. They were under Roman occupation. Now the Pharisees, with this, they might have had little opposition. But the Herodians brought politics into the equation. You see, they thought Jesus was in a no-win situation. Because if he said yes, he would incur the wrath of the Herodians. This answers the question, why together? It was a calculated, terrible attack on the Lord, covering both areas, political and religious. It was to trap him and catch him out in his words. If no, he would incur the wrath of the Herodians, like I've said. If yes, he was endorsing Roman dominance over spiritual values. See, if he said yes, he said right. You know, uh, so it looked as though he couldn't win. Whatever he said, he was going to be on whatever side. And they were waiting to catch him in his words. But of course, you see, they didn't realise who Jesus is. They didn't realise that all authority belonged to him. So he said, bring a denarius, a Roman coin. And he asked them, Whose inscription then is on the coin? Of course the answer was Caesar's inscription. It was a Roman coin. Well Jesus' answer was this. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. And give to God the things of God. And what an answer that was. Look at their response. It says... They marvelled. In other words, they were amazed at his answer. Their best failed the test. 
their motives to discredit Jesus were steeped in deceit and destined for failure because the truth will set you free and anything false will never work. The truth is in Jesus Christ himself and the claims which he made. And they thought they had all the bases covered. They failed to see Jesus as teacher, yes, but he himself is the living word of God. Now the second group is this, what I've termed misguided religious bigots. There's nothing worse than that, because they think they're right, and it doesn't matter what you say or how the word's interpreted, it doesn't work. And that's a sad reflection as well. We can see these people today, we can see it. Thank God he's delivered us from it because of the truth that we've responded to the gospel. But what about religious bigots? You see, there came the Sadducees with a question on the resurrection. What hypocrites were they? On the dead in the future life. Now this went against their own teaching. You see, they believed not in the resurrection. So why come with a question like that? It was against themselves, but it was to test him. They used it against their own beliefs. And it's interesting to think that. But one thing is for sure. Natural reasoning, even in its beliefs to its greatest extent, fails and falls miserably in the light of spiritual understanding. It will, because we cannot understand the truth unless we open our minds and our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to what extreme will some people go to counteract and contradict the claims of Christ? Bound in unbelief and misrepresentation of the truth. There's a real danger here, for Jesus warned us Beware of those that come in my name. They're like sheep, but they're really wolves inside. They have a manner of truth, but it isn't. He's telling us, he's reminding us to beware and to be careful and to make sure that we know the truth. So there's a real danger here and a warning in false cults. Question. How can we, how can you tell the genuine from the false? How can we discern what's true and what's false? What's real and what isn't? Well, if we think about this, the word that comes to mind is a mimic. A mimic is one that imitates or looks like the real thing, but it isn't. There's a danger there. It looks all right, but really it isn't. On the surface, it might, but underneath, underlying, it isn't. Now, it's difficult, as I've said, almost impossible, unless an expert or a knowledge of a said mimic, and I'll give an example of that. 
the King Sneak. The King Sneak is identical to the Bandit Sneak. King Sneak harmless. It's a red and yellow and black Bandit Sneak. Snake, it's not steak. <laughs> you cannot eat it. <laughs> to look at it, right? To look at it, that's the colours. Now, the vicious coral snake is poisonous. It looks the same. Same colours, same bands, but in a different way. It takes an expert or a knowledgeable person to discern which is which. The comparison is obvious. The king snake is relatively safe from predators. Of course it is, because they'll see it and think that's poisonous, it's vicious, I'll keep off it. So it's deceptive, and that's what we've got to be careful of, not to be deceived. Now, a better maybe illustration on one we can readily identify is the cuckoo or the cuckoo's egg in the nest. Well known, it mimics the eggs of the host or the bird that, are, that it chooses to lay its eggs in. Of course, when it hatches, it's strong enough to push out eggs or nestlings or whatever else is in the nest to claim it itself. So then it's fed by the parents as everything else has been ejected. It's brought up by the hapless foster parents who don't know exactly what's happened. It looks like that, but it isn't. It looks like the real thing, but it is different. In the cuckoo's case, the results are deadly for the host and cannot be replaced. It cannot be replaced. There's an emphasis here to be very, very careful. <coughs> How can we know the truth? Three things very quickly I'd like to bring to consider. First of all, and most important of all, when we're faced with the claims of Christ and the truth of the gospel and good news of salvation in him, is this. Measure everything with the word of God. Everything must be measured by and with the word of God. It's the only thing that will test, stand the test of eternity and remain when all else is gone. God's word will remain. So God's word then, God's mind to man, not man's mind to the things of God. It stands true as I've said forever. Secondly then, any attack on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ any attack whatsoever, and here we've got an example of it, is doomed to failure. For he is God's son, and everything is by him. We cannot make him less than who he is. That's the problem with certain false cults. They don't see the truth. They're blind to the very fact of who he is. Thank God he's the saviour. Thank God that he saved us from our sin. 
and God that is the answer to every need to those who believe and then thirdly sorry sadly today many are deceived by this and thirdly have an open mind have an open mind and a receptive heart to the things of God so remember those three things God's word our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and be open to the truth of God's word that will keep us and make sure that we're in the right place John 14 verse 6 Jesus said we know it well I am the way, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. No one else can come to God through except by him. Now the third group, or sorry, or the third is an individual. And this is a knowledgeable scribe or a teacher of the law. Now this is slightly different. Being knowledgeable in the law, as he is looking for the answer, he knew, he knew to be true. He listened to the rest and they failed. But he came himself with his own question. Interesting. It wasn't a calculated question of getting together to decide what to say. It was a personal question from him and now we're beginning to get near to the truth and now we're beginning to see what it really means that it comes down from the group to the individual that each one of us are accountable and responsible for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and it comes down of where we stand and what we do but let's look for a few moments at this young scribe and he's looking, as I've said, for an answer. But not like the rest, wanting to see if Jesus knew the true meaning. You see, he was looking for the true meaning of the word of God, but not necessarily in an antagonizing way. That wasn't his purpose. He didn't come for that reason. He had a question. That needed answering it was a question that he knew from God's word now here's an interesting thing you see if we open our mind to God's word yes we will see what the word says but we've got to take that step here he came to Jesus the living word here we ask the Lord himself to help us to understand this but he didn't have malice, and I believe it was genuine, his question. Why? Because he asked the question, verse 30 and 31, which is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus gave him the answer. Hear Israel, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God and you must love him with all your heart and your soul and every part that you have. 
That's the greatest commandment of all. Love God. And secondly, your neighbour as yourself. Now the young scribe's reply was this. He knew it. This is sad. You have spoken the, the truth. He'd come to that reasoning himself. Now that's very important. See, some people come so far and so near, yet don't make that step. Don't take that step. It's a sad thing. He came to the Lord himself, the living word. The answer was there. The Lord is the answer, which we'll see as we go on. But he had something else, and this is what I, I was thinking. This is how really genuine he was. Because he adds something else. He says, yes, but this is greater than all the ceremonies of the law. This is better than sacrificial offerings. So he not only took the first step, he'd made the second step. But would he make the final step in believing on Jesus Christ? He'd come right through, right almost to the point. And we remember, don't we, Paul before uh, Felix, you know, the governor, he, king said so near, you know, he wasn't so far. But you see, considering this, Jesus saw, it says in verse 34, that he answered intelligently. It was right, discreetly, the word says. In other words, having understanding, but only in part. For Jesus not only saw, but then Jesus said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. It stands true. The greatest commandment, love God first, for no one dared ask him. Any more questions? Of course not. There's no other question. That's the final question. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the claims. Shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, not for, but sadly, not there. Just in conclusion, here then, it's left open as to the outcome. It doesn't tell you what happened. It doesn't say any more than that. Apart from, he was so near, but not there. That's recorded. He even repeats what Jesus says. He is in complete agreement, yet in one and this, and the crux of the matter, and most important of all, he fails to see the answer lies with him. And the answer lies with us. And the answer lies with everyone who hears the truth to be set free by the claims of Christ. The claims of Christ, the choices I was to make to a genuine open mind seeking for truth. The choice is Jesus and the result 
is to have everlasting life through him. 